awesome activities going to be happening. We want to invite you to just get involved and get plugged in. I know the Lord is bonding us together and building us together as we grow in the Lord. I really pray you get into a, a life group tonight. In fact, I, I want you to pray for my wife and I. My wife and I, we, we won't be at life group tonight. We, uh, we have been invited, Carol and I, we're going to be going and we're going to be speaking at some kind of a Romanian church today. And there's about five, six, or seven churches gathering. It's a conference, and I'll be sharing today. And uh, in fact, I've got to leave right after this service. So I pray you'll be praying for me, okay? I don't speak Romanian, but uh, who knows? Maybe I'll start speaking in tongues and just speak right in the language. And uh, so it, it, I'm really honored to, to speak and share there to our Romanian friends. You know, God is doing a new thing. God is just speaking to the church. He's speaking to His people. And you know, one of the things that we've been on, uh, we've been on a series, uh, and our intention is to develop in us a mindset for a culture of honor. God desires for you to come into an understanding and a revelation of what the kingdom of God is all about. The, the, the important thing about the message of the kingdom is it's about Jesus being magnified and lifted up as a king, but He is the king of kings. And Revelations 1 says that because of the blood of Jesus, He has made us kings and priests unto God. And when we begin to act and understand and think like kings that He's called us. Now, I know that when I say that, most of us today, when we think of kings and priests, we think of usually kind of stuffy, uh, arrogant men or women. Maybe some of you have some uh, people in the back of your mind. Maybe you've seen it on television. And most, most kings in the world, very wealthy, and many people in kingdoms support the king. They go to war for the king. They will die for the king. And the king just kind of stays in his lush palace. And uh, as he stays there in his lush palace, he, he, and many kings are not even connected to the people or their subjects in their kingdom. And so when we think about a king and a kingdom, especially in, in America where our government is a republic, we, we may not be too fond of that kind of a thought or an idea. But in the kingdom of God, it is not like the kingdoms of this world. In that kingdom, we have a king who actually loves his people so much that he gave his life for his people. Instead of the people giving their life for the king, this king decided to bring you into his family and make you exactly what He is. And He's called us kings and priests unto Him. Not only did Jesus die just to forgive our sins, so many people today, because of a theology, a rapture theology, that has only taught people to just, just get saved and just get out of this big 
bad, horrible world where the devil got us by the tail. And oh God, save me from America. Save me from the Al-Qaeda. Save me, oh God, from this horrible world and just get me into the pearly gates. That's been such a sad theology. Because what it is, it's just an escapism theology. Jesus did not call you and anoint you and empower you or forgive you just to get you to heaven. His will is that his kingdom come and his will be done on earth. And one of the most important things that he is doing is that he said that as a husband loves his wife, Jesus loves the church. And he gave himself for her that she might be a glorious church. Everyone say glorious. glorious. Now I want you to say something else. I want you to say, I am glorious. Now that was a revelation for some of you, wasn't it? I want you to say it again. I am glorious, spotless, without wrinkle in his sight. Now the Bible says, he who receives the grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life. You know what we're what what I just so appreciate what it, what Megan here was talking about, whether 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 it comes to our finances or our marriage. Do you know that God intends for you to be so prosperous? First of all, in your heart, in your mind, you have a prosperous soul. A soul that is so fat. By the way, everyone say fat. Psalms 91 says that the righteous, even in their old age, will be fat and flourishing. Now, we're not talking about weight on carrying weight. We're talking about fat. We are so filled with the goodness of God. In fact, do you know that a true spirit-filled person who's filled is overflowing? There's an overflowing in your life. You can't keep it in. In fact, my Bible says that because you are covenanted to the Lord, you're, you're covenanted to Him, the Bible says that all of these blessings will come upon you and overtake you. Can you imagine being chased by the blessings of God where you actually have to tell God, Lord, stop blessing me. Hold it off, God. I, I can't handle any more blessings. That's what, it literally means to be apprehended. Do you know what to apprehend somebody? It means to tackle them. It literally means to clobber them with blessing. In fact, do you know what the word uh, uh, um, glory also means? Um, kabod, or God's presence. God's glory means kabod, and it means weighty. It means weight. God's glory comes upon you like something that is so heavy upon you and it, it weighs you down, it, but it's speaking about heaven resting upon you in such power, in such glory, that it overflows and comes out of you. God intends for that glory. Do you know what that glory is? The glory is His presence. You carry His presence. Wherever you go, you bring freedom. You bring life. You have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you, one thing God is doing to the church is He's renewing us as His bride. We are created in His image. If you are a worshiper, worshiper of Jesus, that means you've been beholding 
the Lamb of God. And my Bible says that as we behold His glory, His face, we are all changed, everyone say changed, into the same image. Amen. You can't help but change when you hang around the Lord and when you hang around other people that are carriers of His presence. Amen. Well, I'm going to turn here. I want everyone to focus on this scripture. Galatians 4, 7. Notice what Paul says. When the fullness of time has come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem. That means to buy, to purchase those who were under the law, uh, under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons... God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts. Amen. Crying out, Abba, Father, or Daddy, Daddy. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. Everyone say, no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter. Amen. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now what we have here, God's not saying that you're a son because you've tried harder. You're not a son because you've overcome an addiction. You're not a son because you come to church. No, you're a son by the grace of God. You're a son because of what He has done for you, not what you've done for Him. It's all about what He has done. See, salvation is not from those who ascend to heaven but it's those who come from heaven. We find that Jesus descended to us. Our salvation comes from Him. And what that did, He's made us sons now and daughters. When you're a son and you're a daughter, that means you belong to a king. You belong in a family. If you're truly born again this morning, there's a sense of belonging. And not only that, there's also a sense of likeness. You become like the very Father, amen, that you worship. I have three sons. And my sons, they all reflect me and my wife in certain ways. They have our likenesses. God has created and given you children, and they're in your likeness. When you look at your kids, how many of you parents you can say, well, I see them, amen. Now, some of you may say, well, I want to put the worst parts on my wife or spouse, but uh, no. Uh, your children reflect all of you. What Jesus is saying here, that we're a son. Now one of the things that is interesting, a common denominator uh, between a slave and a son is that they both have fathers. A slave has a father, and a son has a father. But the difference is, a son is a son because he abides in the truth. Jesus said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will what? Make you free. John chapter 8. A son is a son, and he abides in the house. But a slave does not abide in the house. Do you know why a slave doesn't abide in the house? A slave doesn't abide in the house because they do not feel they belong. A slave is under fear. They live in fear. They do not feel they belong. They do not feel there's an inheritance. A person who has a slave mentality is always trying 
to find approval. They're always seeking to, to get to that place of acceptance. But a son doesn't have to work for it because they were born into it. You're not born by works. You are born from above. How many of you can say you didn't have anything to do with your birth? Amen? You, were, you didn't have anything to do with who your parents were. You didn't have anything to do with your gender. You didn't have anything to do with your race or your ethnicity. You were born as you are. And the Bible says you are special. And there's nobody like you. Psalms 139 says that God's thoughts towards you are precious. He says that if he could think of all the thoughts, he says that it would be more than the sands of the sea. His thoughts towards you are precious. One day, God came to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah was called by God, and, and, the, and the Lord said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, before you were born, I knew you. And before you were in your mother's womb, I ordained you and sanctified you and set you aside to be a prophet of the Most High God. And remember what Jeremiah said, but God, I can't talk. I can't speak. And what did God say to Jeremiah? I want you to stop looking at your weaknesses. Don't say, I'm a child. But you will go and you will say the things that I give you to say. I want you to tell, tell everyone this morning, I want to, to tell all of you, that God has a very special plan for all of you. And you know what? He is glorified in people who really begin to see God in them. God wants you to see Him in you. He wants you to see that He's in you. And when we begin to agree with Him... Let me tell you something about a son, too. Sons abide in truth, but slaves are slaves because their father is the father of lies. Jesus told the Pharisees one day, He says, you seek to murder me, and because you try to kill me, He says, your father is the father is the devil. And he was a murderer and a liar from the beginning. And one of the you can you can even see in the house of God sometimes you can see people that are not free and others that are free and it depends on what message you're listening to. Are you mis listening to the lies of the enemy or are you listening to the truth of your heavenly father this morning? You see, all of us this morning have something that God has given to you that no devil in hell can ever take away. All of you this morning have something that is so powerful that the devil can't touch it. You know what it's called? A choice. You have the power to choose whom you will serve and who you will worship and what you will listen to and what you will believe. And the Bible says that if you believe, all things are possible. Now a son is a son because he believes. Jump with me into Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. I'm establishing something this morning because I want you to understand. Galatians chapter 3 verse 26. For you are all, everyone say all. For you are all sons of God, not slaves. You're not failures. You're sons in the likeness of His image through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you that have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Everyone say, through faith. Now that little phrase, we kind of hiccup on that. 
What that means is, is that we are calling things that are not as though they are. That means when you begin to take the promise of God's Word, when God says that He is love, and that you are a son of His love, He expects you to conduct your life. He expects you to conduct your decisions and your thinking in alignment with what He has called you. He expects you to walk and talk like a winner. He expects you to understand that every day, wherever you're at, He is there to answer and speak to you. And as you call out upon His name, He will answer. He will give you direction. Call upon me, saith the Lord, and I will answer thee and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. See, that's the privilege and the honor of a son. We live in a culture of honor. We're developing at New Life Fellowship a culture of honor where we look at people and we honor them because greater is he who is in us than he that's in the world. We are not going to open the door for the enemy. We're not going to see the worst in people. We're not going to sit there and tell them, you've got to try harder, be better, and be more holy. We're not going to go back under the law. We're not coming under condemnation. Christ has died and rose again. And the Bible says, you who He has justified freely. And He's made you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are made the righteousness of God in Christ. And all it is, when it means to be sons by faith, that means we do not consider. We do not look at our past or who we are or what we've gone through. We simply look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Really important. We choose to believe the truth and not the lie. The Bible says here, you are all sons through faith, for as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. By the way, man, this past week, even this past week, Pastor Ray, do you know Pastor Ray? I had a flesh moment this past week, got to tell you. Kind of got in a little disagreement with my wife. Oh, you probably think, well, Pastor Ray gets in a disagreement. Well, yes, Ray got in the flesh. And we had a little, there was no knockdown drag, no, no, there was no abuse or nothing like that. We just had a disagreement. And I remember when I got into a disagreement, the old flesh came knocking on the door and said, Ray, protect your pride. Ray, you need to hold steady. Your wife was wrong. And then following that little thought came a little bit of an attitude. And with that little bit of an attitude, I give her a little bit of punishment, and I chose not to talk to her. And I decided to wait for her to come to me. And the Holy Spirit began to speak, Ray, I see better things for you than this, Ray. I know that you're not a slave to fear and what other people think and what other, how other people respond. Ray, I expect you to rise above those carnal, fleshly, negative thoughts, and I expect you to walk as my son walked. And so I had to go back to my wife and I said, Carol, you were right. Amen. I was wrong. And she said, thank you. Amen. <laughs> 
No, she didn't say it like that. She says, I just love you, Ray. I just know you'd come around. <laughs> but you know what? It's amazing how we can take a bad day and turn it into a good day when you begin to understand that you don't have to surrender to some real bad, crappy attitude. In other words, I have been made more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus, and I don't have to live with that kind of junk in my life. And let me tell you something. The glory of the Father is not about you having your way and doing things your way. The glory of the Father is displayed as we begin to take on the love and the faith and the vision that Jesus has towards us. How many of you believe that He sees the best in you? Not because of what you've done. It's because of what Jesus has done. You see, you've been covered by the blood that destroyed the curse. And He's made you a son. You are no longer taken captive by the power of Satan. You can no longer be taken by the power unless you surrender your will and you begin to make choices that put you into prison of those lies. You can be a son one day and a slave the next because you do not renew your mind. God not only intended you to be a son and a reflection of the glory of the Father, God intended for you to reign. You're victorious when there's a problem. God expects for you to rise above that thing and, and to be more than a conqueror. Have you ever noticed that in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is all about battles and wars and, and just so much blood and fighting and going on? And it's all about the nation of Israel and the nations around the nation of Israel, but it was about God's plan for Israel. Israel is a type of the church. And when we look in the Old Testament, we see how God called Israel out of Egypt. They were slaves. They, for 430 years, they'd become accustomed to thinking like beggars. They'd become accustomed to thinking that they were rejected and all alone. They'd become accustomed of just eking out a living. They'd become accustomed of always being insecure and always thinking that everybody's out to get me. That's a slave. A slave always sees the worst in everybody. Sees the worst in themselves. They never have a positive attitude towards their future because they're under a slave mentality. They have a poverty mentality. A slave never sees anything that's fitting or, or glorious or positive or hopeful for the future because they've been slaves. They've had taskmasters. Now, Pharaoh in Egypt in the Bible is a type of the demonic realm that rules over people's minds. Remember what it said? When, when Pharaoh saw Israel begin to grow and multiply, it says that he increased the oppression. How many here have ever become a Christian and God begin to bless you and all of a sudden you start getting attacked by the enemy? Because you, Let me tell you, any time you begin to take a stand for the things of God, the devil's going to rise up and attack you. That's why Paul says that we need in Ephesians 6 to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, putting on the whole armor of God. You're not putting on whole armor to go to a picnic. You're putting on the armor because the devil realizes how armed and dangerous you really are. Do you know what you know what's so funny? It's actually hilarious, actually, I think, 
But when you get into the minor prophets in, in the Old Testament, when under, under the leadership of, uh, of uh, uh, Ezra, the high priest, and Nehemiah, this cupbearer who, who God under, under the... Uh, under the direction of Cyrus the king, this Persian king who'd given a, a word through Jeremiah 200 years prior to this for God's people to go back and to rebuild their temple and go back into their nation after the 70 years of captivity. It's interesting that when Israel went back, when the refugees went back to inherit their so-called promised land, the Bible says that the people of the land discouraged God's people from going back and rebuilding the temple. Now remember what the temple represented. The temple represented God's people coming together to become a habitation for God in the Spirit. Do you know the devil cannot stand when Christians come together in a spirit of faith and begin to worship? Because wherever God's people worship, God shows up. And I've seen Christians, Christians... All of a sudden they get up and all of a sudden all hell for some reason, not Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but for some reason on Sunday morning all hell breaks out. And they think, oh, it's just a bad, I don't know what Sundays are. Oh, I hate Sundays, Sundays. Let's stay home and watch football. And you don't even realize the devil is working on every single one of you from coming to the house of the Lord, coming into the place where his presence abides. See, the Bible says, that the Bible says in Psalms 133 that as the oil that came down off the head of Aaron onto his beard flowed onto his priestly garments, he says, whatever is on the head comes down. Let me just say this. Whatever is in your head, whatever's on the head, the leadership, even in your own, whatever's in the head flows down. If there's an anointing, it's going to flow down. You see, your family reflects the head. I need to find out, well, I don't like what I'm seeing in my family. Check the head. Because whatever's on the head comes down. That's why we need our heads anointed. But when we all come together in a spirit of faith, and we recognize the power of this moment, we recognize the importance of what's going on here in the supernatural, all of a sudden, you're going to start seeing people be quickened. Healings are going to take place. People won't even get saved without coming to an altar. People are going to begin to experience a revelation of divine wisdom and impartation. Prophetic understanding will begin to open the heavens and open their eyes. When God's people come together in a spirit of faith and unity, that's why Satan, his number one objective is to seek to divide, kill, steal, and destroy the church. He must start in the home, though. He's got to start between husbands and wives. He's got to propagate this spirit of a slave mentality. He's got to propagate that spirit of the orphan spirit, where you're just an orphan. Well, I don't belong. Nobody loves me. Nobody understands what I'm going through. He loves to propagate that spirit of self-pity. Let me tell you, self-pity is nothing but the devil's playground. He loves people to feel sorry for themselves. But sons do not feel sorry for themselves. They know who they are in Christ. They know that they are more than conquerors. They know that they've been equipped. And there's a seed, there's a sperma that abides in them. It's the seed of their heavenly Father. 
And when they walk, when they talk, when they live, when they move, there is an atmosphere, there is a presence that they carry that communicates life, faith, and power to other people. They communicate life. You see, Satan hates this message. He hates you to come to a realization of what you are. When Israel and when Ezra begin to teach the people, while Nehemiah was rebuilding the walls of the temple, and Ezra was rebuilding the temple, I mean, and uh, Nehemiah was rebuilding the walls of the city, because Jerusalem was to be a city that was to reflect God's glory upon a people or a nation who feared the Lord. God chose Israel, not because they were any special people for the sake of just being special. No, God chose this weak nation who wasn't even a nation, and He called them out, and He says, you're not even a people, but I'm going to make you a people, and I'm going to show My mercy upon you, and I am going to exalt you, Israel, to be the head and not the tail. You will be above only where all the other nations of the earth they are going to actually flatter you. They are going to be attracted to you. And it's because of my glorious presence and power dwelling in among, among you. But the problem with Israel was that they claimed those promises and they claimed it by faith, but there was one problem with Israel. They didn't want a relationship with their father. They wanted all the bennies. Have you ever noticed somebody who all, just likes the benefits but don't want relationships? That was the problem with Israel. They wanted all the benefits. God bless me. But, hey, Lord, I don't want nothing to do with it. Hallelujah. I don't read my Bible. I don't pray. I don't want to come to church. I don't have to come to church. I'm not under the law. All that kind of wrong thinking. We've got to get rid of that kind of thinking. You see, God's calling us into an intimate relationship and fellowship. And if you see Christianity, I don't know about you, but I've had people even tell me, you know, Pastor Ray, I just kind of think you're not normal. You're just too, you're too excited about religion. That's not normal. You bet. Yeah, thank God. Thank God. Well, I love what the testimony of Jesus was. The zeal of his house has eaten me up. See, that's the testimony of a son. I'm eaten up by the zeal of his house. And what, what, what creates that passion? You know what only creates the passion? Is the revelation of what the Father has in store for his people. If you don't know, the reason why people have no passion is because they don't know him. If all you've known is religion, man, no wonder you're bored. But once you come to know him, <clears throat> Carol, can you come here for me? I've got to tell you something. Yes, oh dear. <laughs> Remember years ago when Pastor Iverson had uh, invited the Johnson sisters to come to Bible Temple and to sing. She was involved in a quartet with her sisters. And her mother, Betty, uh, played the piano. And I'll never forget, I was sitting in the middle of our church, and Brother Dick says, we've got a little quartet going to sing for us this morning. It's the Johnson sisters. And I remember these four girls. And Carol was the second one in the group. And they all came, and they were just gorgeous, beautiful. And they're all singing up there. And I'll never forget, I looked at these girls 
all of them, but I thought Carol, I said, wow, what a pretty girl. She is so pretty. And I'm thinking, wow, whoever gets those girls are going to have an awesome wife someday. That's what I really thought. And, uh, but you know what? Uh, they started coming to our church. And we were in high school at this time. And 40 years ago, thank you for letting us all know. Uh, but uh, <laughs> she came to the church, and we were friends. And we grew up in the youth group. Carol and I, our families were in the same church. We grew up, we grew up in the presence of God. We grew up uh, with our core value system, being focused on Jesus. It wasn't about being religious. It was Jesus. But I remember the day when I saw Carol from a distance. And we were just coming out of a prayer meeting, and I asked her if I could take her on my first date with Carol. And you know what? When she said yes, I thought I was going to have a heart attack and go to heaven. Because uh, not only that she said yes, but we were gone on a couple dates, and then she said this, you know, Ray, I really admire you, and I think your Christian witness is awesome, and I like to be around you. Now, when she said that to me, I just about lost it. I was going to die, because here's this awesome woman making statements about me. She, she said, you have such an incredible witness and testimony. She said that to me. And I was a leader in our youth group at that time. But she made statements. And, but the thing that really, really stuck to me was that she said, I would like to date you. I'd like to be with you. Thank you, honey. I just had to bring her up and let her, everybody know that. Now, my point is this is that when you come to understand how your Heavenly Father treasures you, it begins to open your heart and your passion begins to grow. But when you only think that your Heavenly Father, all He does is mark iniquities, and all He thinks about, well, I'll tell you, you've disappointed me so many times. You know so many of us today? We need a cleansing in our mind because many of us have had some wrong stereotypes some of you have come out of families broken homes dysfunctional parents parents that weren't even there, fathers that weren't there, abusive fathers mothers uh, neglected parents parents that have never modeled the true genuine love of God and as the result of that is that you have actually thought that your heavenly father thinks like that you actually think that your father, maybe, maybe God will just drop me off and drop me and leave me and forsake me and not love me. And see, that's a lie from the enemy. That's a lie from the enemy. God's love is not human love. God's love is supernatural. It's eternal. And you know what? When He sees you, the Bible says He sees the best. He loves you so much he calls you his own. And he says, you are mine. And he's not ashamed. Hebrews 10 says, he's not ashamed to be called your God and you be called his people. That's powerful. That's what develops the passion. I want you to jump back with me this morning. Genesis, really quickly. Genesis chapter 17. Just for a few minutes. Genesis 17. I want you to see what God said to Abraham. Genesis chapter 17, Genesis 17, amen, 
Genesis 17, verse 1. Now, one of the reasons, folks, we're talking about this, how many of you know that the church is the filter that the world looks through that basically defines in the minds of those who do not know God. You are the filter, you are the lens that the world looks at and looks through that makes them understand who Jesus is. You see, you have heaven up here, you have earth down here. You are this huge lens or a filter. And when the world looks at you, they see the Father. They see the Son. And why we need to be healthy, we need to be whole as a church, so that the world, the Bible says, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. If the world's not coming to the church, it's because the church has not been reflecting what it needs to reflect. If the church is not reflecting the glory of the Father, it's not God's fault. It's that we have not fully come into what the Father has for us. Actually, we may not have even been taught that. But here, we start with Abraham. Genesis 17. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my my covenant is with you. And you shall be, everyone say, you shall be. be. Say that again, you shall be. You shall shall win. You shall be prosperous. You shall be a father. He goes on here to say, of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. How many of you believe that royalty is going to come out of you? You're not going to reproduce a bunch of slaves. You're going to reproduce kings. You're going to reproduce some awesome descendants and children that are going to be history makers. And parents, may I tell you this. You produce what you speak. When you begin to call your children more than conquerors, chosen, blessed, when you begin to tell them that you're proud of them, oh, they might have dropped the ball, they might have disobeyed, but when you begin to call those things that are not as though they are, you will begin to see a reverse take place in their personality. Well, Pastor Ray, that's not the way I was raised. I was raised to believe that if if they're going to get any praise or affirmation, they're going to earn it. Well, I hate to tell you, folks, that's wrong teaching. It's wrong. I come out of the baby boomer. I'm a baby. I'm the end of the baby boomer. And I remember, uh, you know, we we were not raised in a culture of honor. We never understood that that Jesus come to honor people. We were raised. uh, I came out of a church and even a theology that says, you poor sinners. Your sins nail the Son of God to the cross because of your sins. Oh, I'm so sorry, Jesus. And there was no hope. There was no faith. There was no life. All I did was, I thought a good service was 
is when I went out at church and feeling really bad. In fact, I used to preach. I used to believe that if the people really feel bad about their sins, I've done a great job. Thank God that old Ray Galligan is dead. I mean, you can say it louder. Praise God. I, say amen. I, I'm glad he's dead too. It's wrong doctrine. We used to think, well, you, you, you nailed him to that cross. You put him on the tray. And boy, we just love to bring the condemnation, thinking that was going to change you. It didn't change you. It actually made you run from him. That kind of condemnation makes people run. But here, let me tell you three big bombshells about Abraham in this picture. Not only is he an old guy, an old geezer here, 99 years old, how many of you, have you ever been, felt like you were beyond the point of no return? Here's Abraham. Things are over the hill on this guy. Not only is he that, but him and his wife are barren. There's nothing happening in the children department. There's a barrenness upon them. And the last thing is this. In the previous chapter, they had just come through one of the most catastrophic failures in demonstrating unbelief when he listened to his wife to go into her mistress and to produce an Ishmael. And for 13 years, he lived in a divided house. A house divided, it was torn up, and there was jealousy and envy and bickering and backbiting. And what I love here in chapter 17 is God comes and says, The Lord appeared unto Abraham. Let me tell you something. You may be in a bad place today, but get ready. God's coming to your house. And he's going to show up. And when he shows up to your house, he's not coming to scourge or to chasten you. The Bible says that he's coming in the power of his almighty presence. And when he said to, to Abraham, I want you to walk before me, what he was calling him to was an invitation to walk with a new attitude, with a new understanding, with an understanding that I want to fill your mind with El Shaddai, almighty, all-powerful presence, because Abraham, through you, you're going to multiply. You're going to increase. Kings are going to come out of your, your family and out of your loins. Let me tell you something. If you want to get a good soap opera, read Genesis 12 through Genesis 49. You can't I'll tell you, there's, more, there's no more soap opera material in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I mean, you got conspiracy, you got murder, you got hatred, you got backbiting, you got m manipulating wives, you got uh, uh, passive husbands who won't take the leadership in their home. I mean, Abraham, Isaac, you got cowards for husbands. Can you imagine wives? Your husband pawning you off as a sister to save his own skin. And yet God says about this guy, he's going to be the father of nations. I don't know about you, now I know why God called Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. To give us hope, praise God. <laughs> to give us hope. He didn't choose him because he had some stellar character. He didn't have stellar character. Abraham was a failure. He listened to his wife. He collapsed in the hard times. Well, well, well Pastor Ray, in Romans 4, why does it say that he, he, didn't, he didn't cave in? Romans 4 says that uh, he didn't consider his own body dead and he didn't fail at the things of faith. Let me tell you why God says that in the Word. God doesn't take account of your failures. He only looks at the successes. 
Let me say that again. God is looking at what you do for him, not all the things you've done wrong. You need to remember that. Because here, God says, I want you to walk before me. I want you to be blameless. I'm going to do some things in your life. I will make you uh, fruitful. I will multiply. I will establish my covenant. I will give to your descendants after you the land of Canaan and everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Now, one of the most important things in this passage, if you take anything away from me today, is this. Is when God called Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I want you to understand something. In this new revelation of my El Shaddai power that's going to rest on you, I want you to realize that I need to get your mouth. I need to get your mouth in unity with what I'm doing. I'm going to change your name from Abram. In the Hebrew, by the way, when God changed his name in the Hebrew language, <clears throat> The letter H, which is translated from the Hebrew letter, the letter H, everyone do this. When God said to Abram, Abram, you will no longer be Abram, but Abraham. Abraham. Your wife will no longer be Sarai, but Sarah. Because what God was saying is every time you begin to speak what I have called you, you are going to unleash and release my breath and my spirit upon you, and the revelation of what I call you is going to bring it into being, because it's not by power, it's not by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Abraham, when you begin to confess his word, you actually release the spirit, the Holy Spirit's life and power to anoint and to break every yoke. When God told him, you're not only to call yourself Abraham, you're to look at your wife and call her Sarah. Everyone do this. I mean, I know that's some of us think of bad breath right there, but, but it has to do with the breath. It's the release of the Spirit. God breathing. When you begin to confess what I say you are, you are releasing my spirit of life and power upon you. And I want you to walk in that. I want you to think like that, Abraham. I want you to come into agreement. When God, when, when God said, you're to walk before me and be blameless. God wasn't putting some rules over him. What God was saying, God was seeing, was that Abraham, what I'm saying to you is not anything you will do in your own strength it's because of my spirit as you come into agreement as you confess and call those things that are not as though they are i want to go on, on the uh, one of the things here that is so important is that when we come into sonship and we begin to declare the word of god amen you know what every time you speak the word of god you cancel the lie of the enemy I want to turn something here. Recognizing some lies. Here are some lies that I've actually heard Christians say in the body of Christ. Here's lie number one. I have no choice because I'm a victim and I have no resources. The truth is, is that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. That's the truth. Lie number two. I can't change. Because my problems are just too hard and no one understands what I had to go through. The truth is, we are more than conquerors in Christ. 
and all things are possible to them to believe. How many of you can believe you, you take the truth and you lay it over that lie and say, Satan, you're a liar. Number three, I really believe that God doesn't like me or I would be doing better. My Bible says if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? By the way, folks, we need to help our children to understand this too. We need to speak this to our children. Lie number four, I don't pray or read my Bible enough, therefore God withholds His grace from me. No, God's grace is freely given to all who receive Him, and I can do all things through Christ with strength in me. I can do this. Amen? That's a son. A son has an I can attitude. A slave says, I can't. Lie number five, God only uses people who have big public ministries. Whoa. My Bible says God can use anyone who is willing to believe and obey His Word. In fact, my Bible even says that God chooses the weak things of the world to confound the wisdom of men to bring, the, bring to nothing the counsel of the mighty. Lie number six, I'm a failure because I've given in to sin and given up so much that I think I'm beyond the point of no return. The truth is there is therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ, so when sin abounds, God's grace does much more abound. That's truth. You're not a failure. For you to confess failure is to actually insult the work of His grace. It's an insult to Him. But when you begin to say, Lord, I, I have failed, but I'm a victor in Christ. You glorify Him. No, line number seven. I can't read or understand what I'm reading because the professionals and the doctors said I'm bipolar and I have dyslexic. I can do all, everyone say this with me, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Let's stop glorifying the doctor's orders. Let's start glorifying what Jesus said. Yeah, but pastor, the doctor said. I don't care what the doctor said. Now, by the way, I, under, I, I do believe it's, you go to the doctor, yes, we should. I, I believe in going to the doctors, and I believe God works with doctors. But the doctors are not always the final authority. We need to learn to say, you know, Lord, uh, I'm all for surgery and even taking medication if you have to at times in balance, but we also need to go to God first and ask Him to intervene. Let, let's, let's start coming into our inheritance as sons. God has His favorites, and I'm not one of them. I've heard this a lot. God has favorites, and I'm not one of them. The truth is, before I, form, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified. You are blessed, chosen, a royal priesthood, chosen generation, God's special treasure. That's what you are. You are God's favorite. God doesn't have any second-class favorites. You are his favorite. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, you're his favorite. Now, now, now say it. Now, now the other one say, I believe you. <laughs> I believe you. I'm his favorite. Do you know that there needs to be a healing in the body of Christ about how we see ourselves? If you have no confidence in what God has done in you, and what He has done for you, then you will always be crippled and polarized in your effectiveness. I'm going to tell you something. There's a lie in the body of Christ, and it's this lie called false humility. 
False humility says this. Oh, I'm not worthy. I'm just a nobody. I'm nobody in Jesus. I'm just a nobody. I'm just, I'm just a poor low dog. I'm just a dog. I'm a nobody because I don't want to be lifted up with pride. I don't want to be lifted up with pride. Now see, that is actually pride in reverse. It's pride in reverse. You're so proud about how humble you are. And it becomes an excuse not to do anything. God never called you to go around like a whip pup with a tail between us, like, I'm, I'm no good. I'm just a poor little Christian aching to get through life and just hope that we all hang on to Jesus. Come. That's not the kind of overcoming life and glory that Jesus wants to communicate to the world. You are to reflect a power and a glory that is so attractive. That people come, Lonnie, i got to have what you have. Dwayne, 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 I don't know about what you got. There's something so alive in you. June, you know, you just kill me in my tracks. I just can't believe it. I, whatever you're doing. Oscar, man, there is an amazing joy, a peace on you. i got to have what you have, man. Whatever's happening in your family, i got to have what your marriage has. i got to have it. God intended to make you attractive. He did not intend to make you some ugly little puny Christian who hides behind church walls and look humble, which is really a form of pride. He wants you to walk with your head tall. He wants you to walk with an understanding that God has done some awesome things in my home and in my family. And I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to let the whole world know that Jesus saved me from sin. He saved me from horrible habits. He put His glory and His power. He's given me a name. My, I have a reputation like Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a name, and your name will be great. And I will give you influence to the nations. You're going to reflect my glory, Abraham. God did not call you to be some puny little Christian eking by and try to pretend to be humble. That is pride. God wants you to wake up, rise up. Amen. You are his favorite, by the way. Lie number nine. God seems to be hiding from me because he never responds to my needs. Let me just say, folks, he only responds to faith. God doesn't respond to needs. He responds to faith. God is a refuge and a very present help in the time of trouble. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all because they put their trust in Him. Amen? Praise God. Lie number 10. I can't seem to improve because I'm so inconsistent and people have told me that I would never excel or succeed. Has anybody ever told you that you would never excel. That's a lie from the enemy. Do you know that the future is bright? The devil is a liar. Because Christ died, I have received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness that makes me reign. I'm a winner. I cannot lose. You cannot lose. Amen. Okay. All right. Lie number 11. <clears throat> I'm not important because my past holds me hostage. The Bible says, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand, but there's forgiveness with you that we may be feared. 
Lie number 12. If I truly surrender all to Jesus, I will become weird. And my life will lack adventure, fun, and excitement. That, that is just the biggest crutch. How many of you have ever heard that one? I don't want to be weird. Don't want to be crazy. Let me tell you something. When you give your life to Christ, you're getting back to what normal is. You're getting to where normal I don't know about you, but to me, normal is not being shot up with cocaine and going to some concerts and beating myself and getting into brawls and going into bars and getting drunk and coming home and vomiting. I don't see any real life in that. I'll never forget the very first cruise. My wife and I, we went on a cruise five, six years ago. very first cruise and uh, we went on. And I, I, I was, you know, people, when, I don't know about you guys, but how many of you uh, cherish your vacation time? And we're on vacation and these people are on vacation on this cruise ship. And most of them, not all of them, but many of them just get on there just to get stone drunk. Having their big Bahama Mamas and drinking all day long and sitting in a jacuzzi and kind of, and, and they're just, the whole week is wasted because they're half stoned. And I'm thinking, what a horrible situation. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. I, I, I don't want to say this in a wrong way, but I remember we were at a dinner table and, uh, you know, we were on vacation and we were at a dinner table with about eight or ten people in the fine dining on the ship, and everybody's going, oh, what do you do for a living? We're all going around. I said, I'm a pastor. Big mistake. All of a sudden, I mean, all four couples wanted to see Carol and I on the cruise. Now, I mean, it really opened the door for opportunity, but we didn't have very much of it. Because, I mean, uh, and, you know, what I felt is, here's people trying to have fun, but they can't have fun because there's so much pain and problems and dysfunction in their family life that even while they're on, fun, on vacation, they have to get stoned and drunk to forget their pain. Let me tell you something. I, someday, I'm going to preach a message on how to have fun as a Christian. Because you know what? Only Christians can really have fun because you actually don't have to get drunk to have fun. You don't have to get stoned. You don't have to be weird. You don't have to shoot up. You don't have to be around friends that are destructive. When you are in Christ, it is the best way to have fun. I mean, you talk about adventure. Can you think of anything that is more exciting? I remember when, when uh, uh, Marie and Aaron came back from their trip and they prayed for her sister to get healed, led her to the Lord. What greater fun than that to lead your family to the Lord and experience a miraculous healing in her feet? How exciting can that be? How exciting can it be when you see peoples whose marriages have been destroyed and they come together, there's forgiveness, there's restoration, and they believe God, there's hope for us, and, and they come together, they embrace and I say, thank you for forgiving me. I forgive you. And, and we walk together in the house of the Lord. we got a future together. And our children become happy because mom and dad are working it out. They're working together. We actually have a different atmosphere. There's a different vision. There's a different hope in our life. What I'm saying today, for some of you may, oh, Pastor Ray, this is just pie-in-the-sky talk. No, it's not. It's a reality. Jesus said, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
His desire is to bring heaven on earth through you. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Amen. Enough is enough. The days of pity, the days of being just lost, the days of just wandering with no vision are over. God's coming with a strong and an outstretched arm, and He's coming this morning to strengthen the weak hands that hang down. He's coming to pour His Spirit out upon His sons and daughters. Our children are going to prophesy. They're going to be healing the sick in the high schools and the grade schools. Instead of them following the gangs, they're going to establish new gangs. They're going to establish some leadership in our schools. You say, well, Pastor Ray, how, how, how do you see that happening? Because the Word of the Lord says it. I see husbands loving their wives and being leaders, radical leaders. Leaders that take the lead, that stand in the home, not as perfect men, but men who understand the grace of God, who know how to live and lead with compassion and learn how to love their wives and love their children. I see wives submitting to themselves to their husbands and they're not tearing their husbands down. They're not destroying them with backbiting. They're supporting their husbands. Husbands are supporting their wives. See, when the glory of God has been revealed like it was to Abraham, and you begin to call your name, you begin to call His name, all of a sudden you experience the, the breath, the Spirit of the living God. I don't know where you're at today, but I believe the Lord is here to lift us up into heavenly places. Maybe you say this morning, Pastor Ray, I need a breakthrough. There's been things that I have been stuck. I have been, my life, my spiritual life, I've been stuck. I need the Lord. If that's you, raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Okay, I see your hand. I've been stuck. And I know God has something so much better. I know God has something. He, he's not here to shame. He's not here to tear you down. He's here to release and show favor upon you. He calls you His own. You are not rejected. You are not someone that his, He's overlooked. He is here this morning to single you out and say that I've set my love upon you. <laughs> I want to fill you with joy. Let's all stand to our feet this morning. Maybe you may say, Pastor Ray, you know, I, I just need, I need the fire of the Holy Spirit in my life. I, I so appreciate Mike Regan. Mike and I were talking yesterday on the phone, and Mike was talking about an encounter that he was having with an individual about sharing Jesus. And uh, this, this person was saying to Mike, how can you say I don't know the love of God? Let me tell you something. If we know the love of God, that means we love what God loves. How many of you believe if you are walking in the love of God, that means you love what God loves? But guess what also that means? Because love and hate are synonymous. Did you know that? The opposite of love is not hate. No, love and hate goes to an hand. Let me tell you something. I love this woman so much that I hate anything that would come between us. I will fight. 
I will guard it, my relationship, because I love her. You see, love and hate are pure. Did you know the Bible says that because he loved righteousness and hated iniquity, he was anointed with the oil of joy? You'll never have joy until you understand that love and hate go together. Do you know what we live in a world? We live in a world of tolerance. We live in a world where we tolerate anything and we call that love. That's not love. Love has a definition. Love has honor. Love respects. Love values. Love has core values. Love will not allow anything to contaminate the pure stream of integrity in that relationship. Love is integrity. How many of you believe we need to have integrity back in the church? We need to have integrity in marriage where husbands are honest with their wives and wives with their husbands. We need healing in the body of Christ. I want everybody to raise your hand. I'm going to pray right now. I believe the Holy Spirit's going to do just a washing. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you this morning. You've come by the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal a high calling. You've come to reveal, Lord, your perfect love. You've come to reveal the revelation of your almighty goodness and power. Lord, you said that we would never be the same. We would never be the same. Today, I pray for the men to be priests in their homes, to be leaders, to be examples, to rise with confidence. The men to be fathers, nurturers, encouragers. I pray for the women. To behold, there are women today here that have been abused. You've been hurt by others. You've been, and many, and some of them, have carried with some serious guilt. And the Lord this morning just sets you free. For whom the Son sets free is free indeed. No longer does He bring condemnation. But He releases you as a daughter. You are whole. You are forgiven. You are chosen. You are called. You are special this morning in Jesus' name. I just sensed this morning the Lord wanting to restore a song in your heart. Amen. Father, we just receive that new song of the Lord this morning. We receive it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father, we just pray for holy fire. Holy fire. This morning, if any of you raised your hand and you would like us to pray for you, I want you to come down here. The anointing's here. We're going to pray right now. There's going to be a breaking of a yoke. There's going to be a refreshing, a fresh start. Amen. Praise God. Awesome people. Awesome people. People of honor. I'm so excited about this couple. I'm excited about all of you. I just sense God breaking yokes. He is destroying generational curses right now. Amen. As you step out in faith, I see shackles falling off right now. There is therefore no condemnation. This morning, the Lord opens a gate. There's a gate open up on Yulani and Terry. There's a gate of approval. There's a gate of favor upon you as a couple. Oh, the Lord sees your heart. He knows your heart, the intents of your heart. The Lord's doing a healing, a restoring. Oh, you mighty man of God, there has been an enemy that has sought to... Uh, an onslaught against your mind to tear you down, seek to destroy, isolate you, pull you aside. We break that in Jesus' name. 
We bind the power of the lie of the enemy. You are a son and a son indeed. You are not only forgiven, but you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I call you like David. You are going to slay that Goliath. He's coming down, says the Lord. He's coming down in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father God. Amen. Mike, Mike Riga, God's calling you to be a prophet. God's calling you to speak up. God's calling you to, you're going to be a trumpet. You're going to sound a holy alarm. I just saw that. A trumpet is on your mouth. There's a trumpet on you. I, I, I just saw that. The Lord put a trumpet in your mouth. You are going to declare the right ways of God, and you're going to go right into the belly of hell. God is going to put you in places where you're going to speak to people that are so far out there that would never darken the doors of the church. God's going to give you a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, and it's going to flow out of you like a river. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. How many of you say, Pastor, I need a fresh touch of the joy of the Lord? Anybody need more joy? <laughs> Praise God, Gerald. Amen. Praise God. Father, we just pray you just bless her abundantly. The joy of the Lord is her strength. Father, we thank you, Lord. Amen. You have removed, O oh Lord, the, uh, you removed the enemy. You've removed the power of the, the assault of the enemy. You've given us the oil of joy, beauty for ashes, and the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Yes, In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Glory to God. We give you praise, Lord. Amen. Amen. I want everyone to say this with me, would you? I want you to repeat. I want you to declare something this morning. I am blessed. I am chosen. I am highly favored. I am rich. I'm not weak. I am strong in Him. The Lord is my strength. I shall not be afraid. He is my refuge and my helper. Amen? Praise God. God bless you. Go in Jesus' name. Expect the unexpected. Expect it this week. We're going to see some miracles go on here. Amen? Praise God. God bless you. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.